Oh, so tired, so weak. I hunger for the plasma. But first, I must listen to fan holes. Only through their talk of comics and science fiction will I be reunited with my beloved Felicia. Alright guys, welcome back to Fan Holes. Uh, we are here again this week to talk about some interesting subjects. Just get into a little bit, just let you know what we're going to get into. We're going to do a roundtable discussion this week on X-Men First Class. Honestly, I'm just going to say something real quick. I thought this movie was going to suck, but it's got a lot of positive feedback, and it surprised me. But we're going to see what everybody else thinks, and I'll go a little bit more into my uh, thoughts a little bit later. Uh, for comics, we're doing Irredeemable. It's a Mark Wade comic. We'll kind of talk about that in a little bit, let you know a little bit more about it. We're going to also go someplace cold this week. The recent Spidey comics have been getting a little bit of flack, especially from your fan holes regulars. We're going to let everybody kind of weigh in on why they're not up to par, really. And then, uh, just to kind of talk about something off the beaten path, we're just going to go in our favorite book. No, not the ones with pictures, like book books. So, <laughs> going to get literary for a minute. Our good friend Justin giving us a little bit of a uh, literary influence. Anyway, speaking of Justin, let's go ahead and uh, make sure everybody is here. Everybody here tonight? Hey, it's Brian, a.k.a. Breakdown. Hey, what's up? This is Derek, Derek WC. Hey, it's Mike, uh, Thunderwing. And Justin Grimlock. What are you looking at? Excuse me, Superman. It's me, Ricky. Ricky from Smallville. Superman, tell him he won't hurt anybody. Ricky, he's changed. No, maybe, maybe he's just sick. All right, we are all here, and... I guess we could just go ahead and jump in right now. I'm going to actually start off without the roundtable. I'm going to go off into the comics first because, honestly, I haven't had a chance to really do a lot of homework on this. I apologize. Irredeemable is a comic by uh, Mark Wade, and basically it's a kind of a different take on superheroes in a way. It's a lot deeper and a lot more, I guess you would say, serious and mature in the idea of what happens when someone with the power of, like, a Superman kind of goes in the wrong direction, as far as what I could tell. I admit, I kind of picked up what I know of it off uh, Wiki, but for people who actually do know a lot more about it, let's actually see what they uh, think about the series. Let's go with Mike first. Uh, what do you think about Irredeemable? I know you're probably one of the ones who probably has read more of it than I have. <laughs> uh, I, I have read more of it than you have, but I think I've read less of it than the rest of you guys have. I, I've only read the first trade. I enjoyed it. I, I read the first trade like months and months ago, but I, I enjoyed it a lot, but I kind of lost track of it and like I haven't picked up any more. But yeah, I really liked it. I, I You know, I'm a big fan of like Marvel's like what if. And like you said, this is kind of almost like a what if like Superman went totally, you know, bat jive insane and decided to <laughs> be a supervillain. And, you know, it's really cool like that. I think the Plutonian, I just like he's like really creepy. And, you know, like the scene that always stuck out to me is when he like dresses he breaks into that couple's house and he dresses them as himself and his like lois lane equivalent and makes them have sex in front of him i thought that was really like <laughs> nice. really yeah i thought that was really creepy and like funny so yeah that's pretty much all i have to say that's really um i i enjoy it I, I'll, I'll probably get into following the rest of the series eventually and uh like it's spin-off uh what is it uh incorruptible is the spin-off or Yeah, that's with that's with Max Damage. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's what his su- his supervillain becomes like a good guy. 
<laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like, I guess the, he, he's not seen too much in, in Irredeemable, but the idea is that he was he was there at one of the Ground Zeroes, so, like, he sort of saw it firsthand. So yeah, then he, that, that, I, I was looking yeah. into that, too. That sounds interesting as well, so I'm probably going to look more into it. But, yeah, I, I like it from what I read. Um, Who was it that suggested the topic? Yeah. I did, actually, because I, I, I like the, the comic series a lot, and also because I do so many of the, like, history of comics on film type things, like, I kind of liked suggesting that, because kind of like Invincible, like, I just felt like, well, unless they, you know, make a movie of it, like, you know, 20 years from now or 10 years from now or whatever, like, I figured more than likely, you know, it'd be something fun to talk about that was a really good comic that I wouldn't feel like I was you know, spilling all my beans ahead of time with, you know. Yeah. From what Mike said, since you've read most more of it than probably most of us, Derek, it's, I didn't even know about this. You know, like I said, I kind of just got the general, you know, synopsis of what this series is about. Just from what Mike described, it seems like a really dark take, not just like, you know, Superman's gone bad. It's like, no, Superman's like a bad guy and kind of a, you know, sociopath. <laughs> well, like they, they, they make him go down a, a you know, path where it's just a deconstruction of the idea of what it takes to, to be Superman. So I, I think it's interesting that in a lot of cases, you know, like I'll, I'll, you know, bitch and moan about electric manhole covers and stuff like that. <laughs> but if you look at like that whole animated universe, like when is the moment to me when, when Superman comes off as the most powerful is when he's like chasing after, you know, Terry and Batman beyond because he's, you know, controlled by Starro and he's all evil. So then it's like, Oh, nothing's going to phase him. And it's supposed to be like a big, evil threat and and there's an air to have the character come off as you know he, he can come off as really powerful and threatening and they play with that idea of you know if you really knew somebody who had that kind of ability you know there'd be a lot of fear and uh, also just kind of you know uh, most of the stuff is like playing with archetypes you know i mean you know to me it's kind of like i can sit there and you know laugh at some of the cruelty in it because, you know, I could sit there and go, oh, ha, ha, the plutonium, like, you know, totally vaporized, you know, the hornet right off the bat in his hornet cave, you know, like, I'm like, fuck you, Batman, you know, or whatever, <laughs> you know, like that kind of thing where it's like, to me, it's kind of, you know, some of those things are kind of like funny because it's like, you know, and, and, you know, to me, it's kind of fun, you know, knowing a lot of the stuff that I do know, it's kind of like sitting there kind of picking like, cause you know, sometimes you could say, oh, some people might go, oh, the Hornet's not Batman, you know, or whatever. But, you know, some people might say, you know, oh, you know, if Batman were really there, you know, or whatever. So that's fine. They can do that because you can also look at that character and kind of see like elements of like Hawkeye, you know, from the Avengers and different, different characters like that, where to me, it's kind of like, uh, you know, Quibbit, you know, kind of reminds me a lot of, of, Brainiac 5, but if you're a Marvel reader, you know, he might remind you more of, like, Reed Richards, you know? So it's like, I, I guess it's all, you know, from perspective of, of how you kind of see things, you know? But, I, I mean, to me, it's like, I, I think it's a good deconstruction kind of in the way that Watchmen was. You know, it wasn't so much a I, I think a lot of the grim and gritty comics, you know, they just focus too much on the destruction and the tearing down of stuff, you know? I think that's why people don't like things like identity crisis because they think it just rips things away. But when you're dealing with archetypes, it's a lot easier to give the author, you know, like Mark Wade freedom to have those scenes like that Mike described where, you know, you've got the Plutonian and he's kind of, you know, doing all these kind of, because basically, you know, they just play with the idea of, of, you know, a guy who has to be so tightly knit, you know, and, and so there's these kind of, 
moments of, of, well, what happens when a guy has super strength and he holds a little kid, you know, like that, that kind of air to it. It's like, oh, well, how did this guy become, uh, you know, uh, a special needs adult male? It's like, well, when Tony was eight years old and the, the kid just got adopted, it's like, oh, yeah, let me hold the baby. Let me hold the baby. Whoops. I held it too hard. You know, and then and then from that point on, it's kind of like, you know, there's that element of of the kind of whininess of, of Superboy Prime in a way. But sometimes you can read things and you can see how people could feel, you know, justified because Mark Wade was trying to play with the idea of, well, you, you come to the table when you're reading superheroes, with the idea that people are emotionally capable of handling all the pressure and responsibility and it's like even if you're the best person in the world you know somebody might keep nagging you and say hey you know do the dishes do the dishes do the dishes and eventually you know might you might kind of go the first couple times yeah okay i'll do the dishes okay i'll do the dishes and you know maybe that last time you're like all right i'll do the fucking dishes you know but what happens when you're (laughs) you know superman and you got the power of a god basically and you you know, lose it like that, and you go, all right, I'll do the fucking dishes, and then all of a sudden the whole continent blows up. You know? <laughs> like, that, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of the, the path that they were kind of, you know, leading with that. You know, and then for me, like I said, it's kind of fun to, to point and pick and choose who I think, you know, belongs to what archetype, you know, like, they've got, like, you know, a, a kind of cool character like Kaiden, who's, who's a Japanese superhero. You know, so to me, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Dr. Light, but, you know, they each kind of since they're archetypes, just kind of like Rorschach and Watchmen, you know, he's not exactly the question, you know, and they kind of take a life of their own and it makes everything kind of really interesting. And there's always lots of twists and turns as you're reading the story and as they go along. And then, of course, like my my favorite line in the whole thing is when uh, he kind of sneaks in on all the uh, his former villains that are basically holed up at the Batcave, basically, and, you know, they're trying to figure out a way to, you know, use... His, you know, the, oh, it's like, oh, the Plutonian's a villain now, you know, and then find a way to turn that to their advantage. And then they're, they're thinking like they're on the lamb, like they're hiding out from him, but he's just in the kitchen, like making himself a sandwich, you know, and he's like, <laughs> you know, and he's just kind of like totally like, you know, laissez faire, like it's no big deal. And the rest of them are all like pissing their pants like in terror because they're like oh we don't know what he's gonna do you know and he kind of just sits down at the bat cave monitor and he's kind of like what just because i can ram my head through a mountain that means i'm not smart you know like because he's like obviously he could find them and follow them and you know they do a lot of clever things with the you know probably for somebody like uh i, I know we were talking about linkara a little earlier but somebody like linkara who goes kind of apeshit about the whole science or fake science to comics, you know, there is some clever narration, you know, that tries to depict the science of Superman, you know, where people have tried to write about that and say, oh, well, you know, the reason why the ship that he lifts up from the harbor doesn't break into two under the, you know, physical pressure is because, like I've always said in my videos, Superman defies physics, you know, He, he can shift mass and, you know, he's not really lifting something with strength he's basically diffusing the mass from the ship so it doesn't tear in half you know and and you know things like where they say oh he sets the air on you know the molecules of the air with kinetic energy you know he's not really zapping laser beams out of his eyes or whatever i, yep. I always just thought he had a really high midichlorian count that's what I was right exactly. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what it is but yeah you know so it's like you know there's there's little alternative takes on things but but i think the thing that that's good about it is it it's not destroying 
what came before it, you know, it's just deconstructing it and, and reexamining it. And that's kind of, you know, what makes it new and interesting and layered for, for people that have read comics for many years, I think. The way you were talking about how he's the, the character, the Plutonian is portrayed is maybe another part of why you like it. The fact that as most of our regular listeners know, Derek does tend to get a little peeved on how much they nerf Superman in the comics and in especially the cartoons where it's like, I'm Superman. I can juggle planets and defeat the entire world. And why is Batman dodging Omega beams? And, you know, is, is it maybe that kind of appeals to you, too, where the super the guy who does have like all these powers actually uses them logically? And it's actually like that's that's what you would do you know you're actually like not being nerfed does it well i I think i think the fact that there's a lot of fear and terror involved in the other characters just lends a a credence to the amount of respect they have you know to that archetype whereas you know sometimes you 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 know you read certain stories and it's like well to serve the purpose of the story you know we need to get superman out of the picture for five minutes and it you know it all depends on what they come up with i mean you know there there was a recent episode of raven the bold where they had superman fighting the cheetah and you might think oh maybe you know derek would go apeshit over that superman can't fight the cheetah like, that's lame. But it's like, you know, they played within the rules. It's like she had a magical amulet. She laced her claws with kryptonite. Like, to me, I'm kind of like, well, dude, that, to to me, that's like, that's fine. Like, I got no problems with that. You just hate you know, nerfing, like, electric manhole covers and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, it's or, just kind of like, yeah, that. Or getting, yeah. like, you know, magical moon dust, you know, thrown in his face. <laughs> right. Well, at least if it was magical, at least it'd have some sense, you know, but it's just kind of like random you know, rock dust where it's like, oh my eye! <laughs> it's like, what? My <laughs> other one weakness, <laughs> like I said, I myself have not had a chance to really get into it very much uh, as far as reading it, but it sounds like a really co- kind of cool take. Uh, Justin, have you actually read any of these, or how are you doing yeah, on the series? I've read um, the first 25 issues, and there was a one-shot special. I've read that too. Uh, I almost didn't read this series because when I, when I heard about it, it it sounded very similar to another Mark Wade book called uh, Empire, and I was like, ah, oh, that's kind of, kind of like you know he's playing with similar concepts. So I didn't really pick it up immediately. I could be wrong, but isn't Empire pretty much where the supervillain wins? It's I think it's like supervillains are like totally control the world, but it's yeah. yeah, they're they're kind of like in charge. It, it'd almost be like kind of like you know you know how Emperor Doom was. Do you remember that graphic novel where he was basically running? you know, the whole world. It's I actually like, really uh, liked that graphic novel. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like, it's almost like a whole series like that where, you know, they're, they're like you said, they're kind of in charge of, of running the ship. And they kind of, and I think like the, the, not to get off topic for a minute, I think like the, the whole crux of it is, is like the super, super villains are in charge. And after a while they're like, so what the fuck do we do now? In kind of a way, some of them get kind of like, you know, kind of bored they're like really we just kick everybody's asses and now we don't know what to do <laughs> anyway get back on topic of irredeemable uh what do you like about it Justin? i mean what actually made you turn and go hey this is not empire this is pretty cool well after hearing so many good things about it i finally decided to pick up the first trade and i thought it was really good and i guess what i like about it so much is it's kind of like what i was saying about you know uh, character types in gundam where you take like a certain character and you kind of play with them a little bit like you know you're supposed to hate the plutonian for everything that he does you know he you know senselessly kills people and you know ends up destroying whole cities and everything but then like you know Derek says you go back and see stuff in the past like you know unlike superman like the plutonian's powers are 
fully active when he's a kid. So you see that you know not only is he not being adopted, but he can't control his powers. Um, <laughs> he does hurt people, not meaning to. You know, it's something as simple as you know he likes this girl and he sees her being picked on by a bully and he's trying to defend her. He ends up crippling the bully and then the girl ends up hating him. You know, it's stuff like that where you. You kind of want to feel sorry for him, but then you look at all the things he's done in the president, and you're like, well, I don't know. It's kind of like you know how you might feel in the real life about if you were watching a murder trial, and you know all the things that they've done to be on trial for murder. But then you like you go back into your in, into their past, and you see, you know, all these things were done to them. So it's like you know, should you feel sorry for them? Where does the uh, where does the you know line of responsibility lie? Does it lie with that person? You know, that's is that what's made them, or you know, or are they just a product of their environment? Uh, you know, stuff yeah, like that is like, what I like. Kind of like if, uh, like you know, in Smallville, like not the show, but like the comic, like Superman flies in, he's like, "Hello, Lana, I got these flowers for you. Would you like to go on a date?" And she's like, "You just killed my parents in like your last little flipping adventure, so no, I hate you." It's like stuff you just wouldn't actually see, you know? Yeah, but then you know, you see stuff like where. There's an issue where the the plutonium is trying to restore the, all the citizens of that city that he's killed, and you you kind of see that you know even though he's evil right now, like he does seem to feel some kind of regret about some of his past actions. So you know, it's kind of it's kind of on the line of like he tries, but he just kind of fucks up. Is that what you're kind of going with? Yeah, pretty much. Well, also like kinda... that point. It was almost like you thought he was kind of like all evil all the time. But then um, with that issue specifically, like seeing that he wants to uh, try to re- resurrect everyone, it's almost like that was the turning point, And he feels like doing that was so bad that he can't come back and be a good guy after that. But if he could amend that mistake, you know, maybe he would go back to being a hero if everyone could just forget that he did that. Yeah. If he, had a, if he had a witch did it or a Superboy Prime punch, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll punch yeah, something. <laughs> it also seems kind of cynical, too, because you've got, like, the character, like, the survivor, where it's, like, uh, Charybdis and Skyla or whatever. They're kind of like, I don't know, to me it's kind of like Firestorm or the Wonder Twins, but they're, you know, a pair of twins where they, you know, have powers or whatever, and then one of them goes out of commission for a little while. And then, you know, the one brother is left or whatever, you know, of the Crimson Twin crew or whatever. And so he's the most powerful one, you know, the one that can, you know, possibly stand up to the Plutonian. And, you know, as the series progresses, you, you see how twisted he becomes as well. You know, it's, it's this kind of twisted thing of, of people want love and acceptance so much, but it doesn't matter how they get it, you know, like where it comes from or why people you know, love them. They just need it for some reason. You know, they need it so bad that it doesn't matter what they, you know, do to get it. It, it also yeah. kind of reminds me of something like, you know, take like, you know, Jean Grey, like as a phoenix, she can wipe out civilizations and everything. Or, you know, how Jordan can go crazy as a parallax. Scarlet Witch can say no more mutants. And you take those characters and they've done these horrible things. You know, they've killed millions of people. But then, you know, later on, like, not only do fans kind of forgive them, you know, it doesn't matter what the explanation was, you know, if it was a fear entity or what, most fans will kind of forgive them. And then the fictional characters in that universe, most of them will seem to forgive them too, you know, like 
Wolverine totally is in love with Jean Grey and all that stuff, but then you know it's kind of like right now he really wants to kill Scarlet Witch for what she did, but then I'm kind of like, well, Jean pretty much did the same thing, and you're totally in love with her, so I don't understand that. Wolverine hates broccoli. <laughs> but it's it's kind of like the same thing with the plutonium. It's like maybe he thinks if he can do like one really good thing, it'll wipe out all of his you know past mistakes, like going crazy, the city accidentally being destroyed, and then all his other random insanity. Huh. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, this is apparently a very deep comic. Uh, Brian, do you read? Maybe read pretty much a lot of it, or? Yeah. Um, when Derek originally suggested the topic, I bought like maybe volume one on its own. And I loved it, like, right off the bat. It's probably, um, I was thinking back, trying to think of another comic I've liked as, as well. And it's hard for me to come up with one. I, I enjoy it that much. So after reading, you know, one volume, I ended up buying, like, the six that are ava- available. I've read them all. It's kind of interesting because it seems like a pretty simple premise and, like, one that wouldn't have a, a whole lot of legs with it. But, I mean, the stories are so well-written and the theme of, you know, Superman going rogue is, like, so well explored that, you know, it, it just really sucks you in. And, like, it really allows you to, like, relish in both, like, the bad things that happened to the Plutonian that turn him bad. And then, like, his paybacks, you know, like, him getting his revenge on people. One of my favorite scenes was uh, he's, like, dating this girl as a Plutonian. But in reality, he works as a janitor at, like, the radio station that she works. And so one day, as a janitor, he's like, you know, ask her to marry him. And she's like, oh, I can't marry you. I'm dating the plutonium. You know, I'm in love with another man. He's like, no, you're not. You're in love with me. And then he reveals himself to her. And she, like, feels totally betrayed and, like, runs into the newsroom and tells everyone, you know, hey, this is the plutonium. And so they release it on the air. And, you know, you just see all these things where people are react like not like they would in a traditional comic they just react almost more realistically to, yeah, to, yeah to what he reveals and it's just i don't know it's great to see him you know how that affects him and then he gets pissed off and finally gets some payback cool i'm glad i'm glad you uh you like the the book yep i like it a lot i'm glad I'm glad it wasn't jack of hearts <laughs> <laughs> mike are you going to continue reading yeah, I, I, it's been on my list uh, for a while. I like I read the first one like three or four months ago, but I just forgot about it. It's not, I, like I liked it, but it was just like I was reading a lot of other stuff at that time. So, but uh, yeah, I'll probably get back into it because of this podcast. So yeah. <laughs> Tony, where are you? What just happened? What was that noise? I'm scared. It appears as if the Plutonian has abducted Tony directly from the podcast. We're just going to have to make do without him. Our next topic is going to cover the recent Amazing Spider-Man comic. He does know Spider-Man. He's cool. Knowing Spider-Man does not make him cool. We're just going to go around and uh, discuss what each of us, how each of us views kind of the status of Spider-Man post brand new day. Let's just start off with Mike. What else can you uh, tell us about Spider-Man comics and how you kind of view the whole, you know, weekly Amazing Spider-Man stuff since uh, since he made the deal with the devil to, uh, you know, get rid of his marriage and all well, that stuff? Well, you know, 
I think, like, Casada had it in his head that, like, Spider-Man has lost his way and, you know, we have to fix him. And he thought, like, getting rid of the marriage will do it. But I honestly don't think the marriage was really the problem. Like, you know, I think it was more like he grew up with a Spider-Man that wasn't married. And, you know, he wanted to make it. That seems like the right Spider-Man to him. So, I mean, I can't begrudge him that. But, you know, the way they went about it was just totally awful. And, you know, it's one more day is unequivocally the worst comic book story I've ever read. And I, you know, I wanted to read it to see, I expected it to be awful. And when I read it, I was, I it was just like a confirmation, like, yep, this is uh totally out of character. Um, it's weakly drawn. Um, it's a, it's do, undoing something I like. And uh, yeah, it, it was pretty awful in all cases. But since then, you know, it, it hasn't been like, I haven't really seen, like, the benefits of, like, you know, what the, why they said they had to do it yet. I mean, they're like, I guess they're, they're, their main thing of reasoning was, oh, you can't relate to Spider-Man if he goes home and, like, has, like, a hot wife or anything. <clears throat> but I don't think they really, you know, they can't decide what makes Spider-Man relatable, really, I don't think. Like, they, they want to make him, like, the everyman superhero, so, but... They're, they're recently they've been going about it really like literally like you know I don't know how long ago this was because you know with the with the uh, the twice or three times monthly it's kind of hard to tell like how long ago stuff was in Spider-Man like but since uh, one more day and into like this new Dan Slot written era but you know he got H1N1 at one point like swine flu and it was like oh just like in real life and I'm like right. well you know. I guess so. You know, like, is that supposed to make Spider-Man relatable? Yeah, conversely, I remember, you know, it was all current day events where it's like, yeah, oh, I'm unemployed, you know. I, I, I was just going to say, I'm oh, waiting for um, a, a storyline where, like, Black Cat, like, leaks pictures of his junk that he texted to her or something. <laughs> yeah, like, his, his spider junk, like, gets leaked to the net or something. The, the real spider. <laughs> I always thought it was funny, like, how badly they claimed they wanted to put the marriage behind them um, so people could relate to them better. But yet how often recent spider books like reference, you know, Mary Jane and like all of brand new day and stuff. It's like, they won't let us forget about it. You know, even if we wanted to. Yeah. I don't know. The, the other thing, like, they say like the marriage doesn't make him relatable, but like now he's working in like a, he's like working in a super lab for geniuses and stuff. And like, he's got like, you know, a great job and whatnot. Does that make him relatable? I mean, you know, I don't think they can decide what make, like, it's not any one thing really. And, and another thing I wanted to point out is like, they, they're really ever since one more day, they've been really hitting that whole the old Parker luck thing really hard. Like it's, it's not funny anymore. It's just like, like, especially when brand new day started, it was like basically like every storyline seemed like shit on Peter Parker day. Like, you know, he's like, he's such a loser and then, you know, a nerd and an unemployed idiot. And I'm like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to read about him if he's going to be miserable all the time. You know, it's like, it's almost worse than that. Like I am the spider garbage, you know, he's just like, Oh, Peter, Peter can't get a job. And Oh, now he's Photoshopping pictures. You bury Peter <laughs> Parker. 
You bury him uh, dead. Oh man, yeah. Okay, maybe that was worse. But I'm just saying, you know, it just it just seems like I uh, I don't know. It, anything I liked about the character has been jerked in all different directions until he's unrecognizable. And then, you know, we've got this thing with, like, when when uh, Heroic Age started up and everything had to go back to basics. And, you know, you had the gauntlet storyline with uh, Spider-Man where, like, they brought back all his classic villains. And you, you remember his classic villains? Like, the, the red vomiting vulture and uh, the <laughs> lizard that eats people and makes them kill and rape each other now? You remember those? Like, <laughs> I'm glad the Heroic Age is backward, you know? <laughs> stuff is Stuff is just like Stan, well, it... you know... Stan and Steve had it. Yep. It's kind of funny because that whole like dark rain seemed to, you know, have its own kind of life to it where they wanted to explore like the dark side of everything and, and somehow make some kind of allegory to present day. And then all of a sudden they decided, oh, well, now everything's going to be better. Uh, we elected a new president. We're going to do the heroic age. And when nothing really, you know, changed and the economy didn't get any better and people were still grumpy, it's like all of a sudden they switched gears and it's like fear itself. Everything's miserable. Things <laughs> suck. You know, and it just kind of went back to kind of like you're like, wait, weren't we just in a dark rain? Like, didn't everything just suck like a month ago? Like, I, I felt like the heroic age lasted like, you know, a month. And then all of a <laughs> everything sudden everything sucks like, again. Oh, wait. Wait, everything sucks again, <laughs> yep. you know? That's what it really seems like. I wanted to talk about, like, Dan Slott's stuff. I started off liking Dan Slott a lot. Like, I liked that Spider-Man, like, Human Torch miniseries he did. I thought he, he'd be pretty good on Spider-Man, but I don't know what it is. Like, every ever since he, like, started up with Brand New Day, I don't know if he's been hit with a lot of editorial mandates or what, but he's, like, totally, like, turned me off his, like, whole Spider-Man thing. Like, uh, I don't know what it is, but... It seems like he's he's really like I see I I can't tell how much of this is like you know from editorial or what but he's really like pushing like buttons and stuff like you know he'll have like those scenes where like Peter's talking to MJ and like Peter will be like hey maybe I should like move in with you and then they'd laugh and be like ha 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 like yeah like like we'd ever ever get together again or anything like or we'd get married yeah right like I don't know it seems like a lot of button pushing what else uh also, some a lot of people have like pointed this out about Dan Slott's like writing on Spider-Man. It seems like everyone in in his book is like throwing out like jokes, like e like more than Spider-Man is. Like everyone's like fighting for punchlines almost. Like everything's goofy. I I don't know what it is. Like I, I I've kind of noticed this, but a lot of people have been like talking about this and how a lot of like supporting cast members are, are like, oh, everything's goofy and everything's a punchline and. I don't know, like, not even Spider-Man can get in, like, a word edgewise and stuff like that. I don't know if you guys have noticed that, but... I, yeah, I, I definitely get that vibe in, like, one moment in particular that's fresh on my mind where I can point that out is, like, where he's, like, those Dr. Octopus robots attack the city, and it's, like, him and the Avengers, and they're jumping down, and he's like, Avengers assemble! And then Hawkeye's like, why does he get a save? And then Wolverine's like, it's his villain. When it's your villain, you can save. And then even yeah. later on, like... Spider-Woman's like, Peter, or, uh, you know, Spider-Man, did you just, and, like, Peter farted or something, and then she's <laughs> like, well, someone make sure to keep him away from the human torch. It's like yeah. everyone. <laughs> everyone but Peter has Peter's humor, basically, now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then um, I also wanted to bring up what's-her-face, Peter's new girlfriend, uh, Carly. Every Everyone, like, like on, this, on uh, Spidey Crawl Space, everyone likes to call her Carly Sue. 
because you know <laughs> she's like oh she's so like they can't stop saying how perfect she is for Peter she's so perfect for Peter you know and but she's not she's not like Gwen at all I mean sure they retconned her <laughs> to be best friends with Gwen when she was a kid and sure she has a off she has a police officer for a father but she's not like Gwen at all I mean really and she's <laughs> also she's so perfect for Peter I, I mean I have a question I, for you Mike what's that which one of these three scenarios do you think is going to happen with her? One, she dies. Two, she becomes like a villain. Or three, she finds out Peter's Spider Spider Man and dumps him. I think she'll probably die eventually, but yeah, I, I, all three of those scenarios could technically happen. Like, at well, the yeah, night. they all seem plausible. Maybe, maybe, maybe Carly, Carly Sue, and Peter and Skittles Craven <laughs> can yeah. have a three-way. I hope she goes to Europe and then comes back a few years later with like four kids out of nowhere she had with like right. Dr. Octopus Eight or something. Kids. I was going to say, it's like, oh, Peter's in a committed relationship now. I can't relate to that. You know, <laughs> so, I mean, it's they can't decide what they want with Peter. I can't relate to Peter being roommates with, with what's-her-face, the, the legal oh, yeah, eagle yeah. Well, that's woman not, who can't yeah, stand him and is always yelling at him. Pointing a shotgun at him. I mean, like, <laughs> is anyone really yeah, like that, yeah. you know? People have complained about her being like a caricature or, you know, not even like a real character, really. Like, just like someone like that would be arrested before long, almost, you know. Well, it's kind of like how how I I remember Eric Larson always used to complain about Jay Jonah, where, you know, he he would go on a tirade about, well, shouldn't this guy just be arrested? And I remember in The Savage Dragon, he had his own little, you know, I, I forget what he called the guy, but it was like Frederick Foswell, you know, Fairy Wink or whatever the guy's name was, you know. And and it was like basically like eventually the dragon just like punches him in the face and it's like you're going to jail you know and that was like the end of it you know and like you know that's probably Larson's take on what should happen to Jay Jonah even though I don't I don't necessarily share that opinion but but I can see how it applies to certain situations like with with Peter's roomie where you're kind of like geez like what strange strange kind of stuff would happen and even in I mean I I haven't read that much of the you know current stuff where he's with the ff or whatever so i can't comment too much on that but as far as like some of the the post brand new day stories like stuff that just struck me funny was like you're talking about how they're trying to tie it to current events and people dealing with unemployment and and kind of just the undercurrent of unrest in say you know the united states and you've got a character like electro and eventually you're kind of sitting there looking at max dylan going well yeah i'd be mad too. yeah you know, and, and it was kind of like one of those things where you felt weird because you're like, wait a minute, why is Spider-Man trying to, like, almost like like you, you kind of read something and you, you have that weird twisted feeling of you're like, yeah, Spider-Man's yeah, a schmuck. Yeah. You know, like, like why, why does why does Electro make more yeah. sense than he does? And it's trying to paint him as, like, some kind of, you know, extremist, you know, uh, right-wing caricature. But in the meantime, you're kind of like, well... But some of the stuff he says kind of makes sense to me, like, you know. Something, why yeah, I was going to say something like, along oh. those veins. Like, a very recent issue had, like, Peter going to his new super lab job with his, like, super ethno co-workers or whatever, you know. Um, and, like, the, the fat geeky kid or whatever who he works with is, like, uh, I don't know, he says something to Peter and he's like, that rocks, Pete. And, like, you know, he goes for a fist bump or a high five or something. And Peter's like, oh, oh, that will never be hip or whatever. And I'm like, what right does Peter Parker, you know, a confirmed, you know, geek nerd, you know, who has a microscope, 
you know, have what right does he have to like just say, oh, that's not cool, you know, whatever. Like, I'm not a geek, you know, get away from me, freak. It just seems like totally counter to what who I think Peter Parker is. Well, but the whole the whole firing thing seemed counter. I mean, isn't isn't the whole idea like that's what I thought was weird about that oh, one art where Photoshop. you know like oh they fire Peter and he does the Photoshop. It's like, but I did the Photoshop for a good cause, you know. And you're just kind of like, well, wait, isn't this the guy that talks about like power and responsibility right. and stuff and with great power? Like, isn't isn't the power of the press like great responsibility? Like, I, I, I you know stuff like that where you're like, why would Peter Parker? do that at all yeah. like why would he ever put himself in that position in the first place it seems strange yep. to me oh. you know i was gonna say um you know in in the first like i forgot what issue it was but you know the the first 10 issues of amazing spider-man he he fakes photos for jonah but then like by the end of that issue he feels so bad about it that he comes clean to jonah and jonah's like okay well i'll just you know dock your pay for this and we'll never speak of this again and you know but this one like this time jonah was like calls his ass out in front of like in a on a in a press conference and it was like okay you're you're scum and peter's mm-hmm. like but i was doing it for you man <laughs> but, well, uh, to say some positive things, I enjoyed uh, the story arcs on New Ways to Die, mostly because, you know, it had the Thunderbolts in it, and uh, nothing was really super offensive to me. And, you know, even with, like, a story with, like, Venom and en- and Eddie Brock as anti-Venom coming back or whatever, uh, I-, I thought I had a lot of fun with that story arc. And um, I even, to some extent, I even enjoyed uh, Grim Hunt, even though there were a lot of plots. No, bad mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I enjoyed seeing so many, like, spider-related characters coming together. But, you know, there were a lot of plot holes, especially revolving around Kane. And I didn't I didn't like how Kane was treated in that. Like, I don't think Kane would be scared of Skittles Craven. So, you know, and he's like, oh, my God, the, the hunters are coming after me. And I'm like, dude, like, back, like, 10 years, like, in the 90s. You friggin' snapped, uh, what's-his-face, that loser craven kid's neck. So, I mean, you shouldn't be, like, you know, freaking out about this, but... And they brought... The whole thing was to bring Craven back, but was... Was Craven really, like, irreplaceable as a villain? I mean, did he really have to come back? I mean... I kind of... You, you know what it kind of reminds me of in a weird way? And this might sound funny coming from me, like, who is a, you know, DC fan who kind of you know, like seeing guys like Hal Jordan or Oliver Queen take their sort of rightful place back. And, you know, a lot of people get upset that the newer versions of the characters then become basically redundant. And so they have to find some way to get rid of, you know, say, you know, uh, Kyle Rayner or, you know, whoever else is, you know, like taking the slot, you know, Wally West kind of fades when Barry Allen comes back or, or that kind of thing. But in this case, it's like, well, they bring back Craven and then Aloysia, you know, totally like basically yeah. becomes a chump after that, you know? And I was kind of like, well, you know, I mean, it's not like he, he was like the greatest Craven ever or anything like that, but there, there are some stories I have, you know, sort of fond memories of that character. And I'm just kind of like, oh, well, that's too bad. Like all of a sudden it's like for, for the sake of Skittles Craven and, and Papa Craven, you know, it's like, you know, he becomes Craven Jr. And then sort of almost a Morty Craven Jr. in that scenario. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. No, to me, I thought I thought everybody who was teamed up with Spider-Man was the Jack of Hearts. It's like, hey, I'm uh, I'm Ariana, I'm uh, Jack of Hearts, Sana. You know, I'm I'm like all these other Morts were 
coming out of the woodwork to help Spider-Man, and I'm like, aren't you a member of the Avengers <laughs> now? Like, can well, you, like, get some real help? Yeah, you know? and you also wonder where, where those characters are at, like, when Parker needs a place to stay or something, you know? Like, yeah. Every time something bad happens to Peter, the FF are out of town and the Avengers are busy. But in this story, you know, everyone that you haven't heard of in, like, years are like, oh, we'll help you, Peter's, like, five or six of them all there. I was going to say, uh, you wonder where all these Avengers are when fucking Morlin is ripping out Peter's eye and eating it. <laughs> but Before I we guess... get off Grim Hunt, I want to say that the only thing I actually liked about it was that Craven seemed just as pissed about getting resurrected as I was. So yeah, that, that, I like that, that was pretty good. Yeah, yeah I kind of liked how he slapped uh, What's-Her-Face's wife around, where he's like, what are you doing, woman? Yep. I wanted to be dead. Uh, Leave me I was going to say, I, I, I would have liked Grim Hunt even more if, yeah, Craven died again at the end of it, but they just, I, it was clear that they just wanted him back because, oh, we need Spider-Man's classic villains back, you know, and uh, that'll fix things, like, and, you know, Craven just showed up in the new Venom series, like, you know, the new Flash Thompson Venom, and he's acting exactly like he was right before he blew his own brains out back in the 80s. Like, you know, crazy, eating spiders to gain their power or whatever, you know, running around trying to shotgun Venom and whatever, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> so it's back to normal, I guess, you know. Yeah. It's only, it's only a matter of time before, yeah, it's only a matter <laughs> of time before Craven becomes useless again and then kills himself again. But, oh, yeah. no, wait, I, I guess only Spider-Man can kill him now, because his stupid family brought him back as a undead whatever. I don't know what it was, but I was pissed off not only how Kane was treated, but that they'd made the completely unbelievable plot device that Kane could fit into Spider-Man's outfit, even though he's, like, three times taller than him, and, you know, substitute for Spider-Man is that, like, sacrifice or whatever that was in Grim Hunt. That was a yeah. pretty big plot hole. Told <laughs> yeah. you! Boy, Spider-Man doesn't fit this outfit as well as he did, like, two minutes ago. Yeah, uh, but... This is like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar yeah, in Spider-Man's yeah. costume. The shirt's going up. <laughs> yeah. like, <laughs> I, 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 I got two more glove, things you know? to add, really minor things, and I'll turn it over to one of you. But um, I just like to say another thing that really turned me off to Dan, Dan Slott's uh, writing is obviously what happened to the Hobgoblin. He, you know, he killed off my favorite Spider-Man villain, Roderick Kingsley, the original Hobgoblin, replaced him with another character that I like, who is now evil and a douchebag, you know, Phil Urich. So, you know, he basically ruined two of my favorite characters in a single swoop. So, and the other thing I wanted to add was Dan Slott kind of, I guess the thing that pisses me the most is he, yeah, like you said, Derek, he kind of writes Peter Parker and Spider-Man as kind of a schmuck, you know? Just like like the first issue of uh, FF, the new the Future Foundation, you know, Spider-Man shows up in his like new FF costume for his like first day with the FF, and he's all like somber and stuff, and he's like, you know, oh, I miss Johnny already, and you know, he has a moment with Sue and stuff, and then you go over to like the Spider-Man FF crossover, like the the tie-in, whatever it is, and like it's they, I guess they no one communicates at Marvel editorial because Spider-Man shows up again for his first day with the FF, and he's all dressed up in a Fantastic Four uniform, and he's like, ha-ha, I'm one of the Fantastic Four guys, I made this costume and all this, and they're like, they're looking at him and like, you're a monster, I mean, we just lost a family member, and you're joking around like this, and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't think of this, you know, that just kind of pissed me off, too. So, yeah, okay, I, over, over to one of you. 
I said over to one of Justin. you. <laughs> I, did, did you want to say I something? I thought that Justin? was kind of weird, too, because uh, the only reason I really got back into reading Spider-Man was because he joined the FF, and I got into reading FF. So the first issues I started reading were you know, the ones where he was teaming up with the FF, and I thought it was kind of weird, too, like Mike pointed out. Like, he had two first days, and, like, his first day in FF goes pretty well, but his first day in Amazing Spider-Man goes terrible because, you know, he's, like, showing up in that costume, and they're just like, we retired those colors, and I'm just like, wait, what's... He already had a first day. What's going on here? But uh, I thought those uh, team-up issues with uh, the FF were pretty good. Um, I haven't really read Spider-Man since... I guess since Ben Riley died and you know Peter came back, like it's it's been that long for me. But I went wow. back and read some of the other stuff. I think the first stuff I read, like I went back and read, were it's it was like two or three issues of just like Peter and Mary Jane sitting around talking about you know like why they didn't get married or something. Like I guess I should have read like one more day and all that stuff. But that whole run, like from that back to the FF stuff, like. It w- I didn't think it was terrible, but at the same time, like, I, I probably wouldn't, you know, have it on my pull list either. So those th- that book's from like one moment in time, which is ah. Joe Casada Kas- again. Yeah, that, that that seemed weird to me. Like, it seemed like that that weird kind of Dawn explanation, you know, Donnie from Buffy or whatever, where it's like, yeah, this is exactly how it happened, and I'm kind of like, wait, so they just didn't get married. But everything else was the same. Like I don't know. It just yeah. seemed to be. Kind yeah, of it's, it's like you, well, you're off. like, there's no way that can be possible. Like, <laughs> well, yeah. Especially yeah, like, when you mix that, that, how does that with that? like you know um, the mind wipe of like Peter's identity being revealed and all that, it gets like really confusing and really out of hand. Like trying to keep track of what actually happened and how things went down. Well, I, I, I always say, I guess this I means mean, Mary Jane was never pregnant because, according to Casada, uh, Spider-Man would never, you know, father a child out of wedlock. But Norman Osborn, he likes to have babies, <laughs> litters of babies all across Europe. I guess, I guess Norman makes up the difference, which, which again, that's something that kind of creeps me out of the, the current run, you know, whether it's uh, just a a resurgence of the whole sins past thing from JMS, but the whole, you know, Norman was, uh, you know, sticking his little goblin wiener to uh, menace, you know, Harry's girlfriend or whatever, where you're just kind of like, dude, man, I mean, like, I get it. He's the bad guy, but it's like, come on, dude, like, enough is enough. Like, I mean, some stuff is just yeah. plain creepy, you know? Like, a lot of those things I thought were kind of, you know, it's like they, they tried to give Harry a convoluted backstory instead of just saying magic did it. It's like, oh, yeah, Harry didn't really die. He had some plane tickets to Europe, and he, you know, t- took some super soldier serum, and then he got a divorce, and then he's running a coffee bean, and now he's American son. And then, you know, you're just kind of like, dude, man, that's that's some heavy lifting, you know? It's like, I, I you know, sometimes you're just kind of like, well, uh, what's the point of doing a magic trick if you try to, like, explain to everybody how the bird came out of the hat and how the bunny wasn't really in the box, you know, like it just seems like it's kind of, I don't know, showing too much of your hand in some, some of these stories. I mean, for me, the, the stuff that I would say that I thought was positive was I, I kind of like the rhino story that I think it was Joe Kelly that wrote that uh, as part of amazing. And like, I thought that was, you know, it was kind of like one of those things where I was reading it and I'm like, 
there's a new rhino and he's extreme, just like the vulture. And I was like, oh, no, like this is going to be lame. But like eventually by the end of it, you know, they kind of have um, the rhino, you know, back in his, you know, original state, I guess, kind of uh, reaffirming what Mike was saying, how they're trying to somehow go back to the original villains in an effort to sort of make it work again, I guess, quote unquote. Um, but I did I did kind of enjoy how rhino was portrayed in that story you know they tried to give him some humanity and tried to give him you know a girl to cling on to and then they kind of took that away from him and then you could see like okay now he's like ah, super boy angry you know he's mad and 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 won't take it anymore and then the only other story i kind of liked was from uh, web of spider-man which was the one with the extremist which i thought was pretty cool just because i don't know it seemed a little more like something Peter would do, you know, make fun of himself with the blog and spider fail and, you know, the way they kind of, you know, I, I wasn't exactly too happy with, with what happened with Flash Thompson, you know, but I was like, well, at least he seemed in character in that, you know, whether he was uh, wheelchair bound or not, you know, it seemed like he was kind of like, you know, standing up for, you know, Spider-Man or Peter or what, you know, that kind of thing where he, it's like he wasn't exactly just a pushover, you know, and, and got it, you know, getting drunk and, running into car poles or whatever crazy stuff they used to have them do back mm -hmm. in the day. What I was going to say is uh, out of like the Gauntlet series, the only ones I really enjoyed too were Electros and Rhinos. And the only real problem I had with Rhino was the fact that they ended up making him a villain again. I, they did a good job of it, but you know, it would have been nice. Like if they were going to not bring him back to like see the life that he would have had as a reformed criminal. I thought, I thought they made it, you know, a really good story and a really good way to see the rhino go out of the picture, but then they brought him back, but still a very good read. And um, actually, unlike Mike, actually, like Big Time, which was Slots, the last volume, at least, that I read of Slots, what do you think of, like, Umberto Ramos's art, Mike? I uh, Sometimes I like it, and sometimes it's really ugly, but, you know, I, I think he's... I think he's actually doing better. Like a re like the art is the one thing I couldn't complain about. I'd say. Yeah, like I like it a lot better than I used to. Like when he first came out, I think he started on Spectacular or something. But um. Yeah, that was real with the with the like samurai green goblin and like. Yeah. Right. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. But yeah. even even now, still in action scenes, sometimes it's really hard to see like what's going on, and like things that probably should be the focus from like the writer's perspective, I think get pushed into the background. The only thing that comes to the top of my head would be like, I know there's a, like a big splash of like Spider-Man fighting in the foreground. And he says something like, Oh, finally the fly boys have shown up and you're, you're like, what's, what's he talking about? You know, it's Spider-Man punching a octopus tank or whatever. But then like in, in the background, if you look, there's like two small jets like flying by and you're like, oh, okay, I guess that's what he's trying to reference. But I find that a lot where um, in an action scene, I'll really have to like look around to see what's actually happening because it's not real easy to see all the time. Well, you know, I guess all those big feet <laughs> take up all the yeah. panel. So it looks like everybody had their, their say on recent Spider-Man events and the Spider-Man comics. We'll just move along to uh, something a little more positive. Give a hoot, read a book. We're going to discuss with each of the fan holes uh, what their favorite literary work is. So we're going to talk about favorite books 
And we'll just start off with uh, our resident book aficionado, Justin, and uh, we'll go to him and see uh, something that would be his favorite book that I guess he might recommend to people to read. Anytime anybody asks me to pick like a favorite book or movie or something, I have a really hard time deciding on just one. Like my top five movies would always be fluctuating or something, so it was hard for me to pick just one book. But if I had to absolutely choose just one, I would probably go with A Journey to the Center of the Earth by Jules Verne. What got me into reading the book was I remember being a little kid and watching the 1950s movie with Jane Mason, and I thought that was like a really great movie. And like where I live, there's a there's a cave like not very far from the house, so I'd always like sneak off, go into the cave, and pretend I was doing my own journey to the center of the earth. And you know, like there was like water flowing through the cave, so I'll like pretend I was building a raft, you know. Trying to sail away from the dinosaurs who were eating me and stuff. But uh, when I got a little bit older, I finally tracked down the book and read it. And I thought it was really great. And Journey to the Center of the Earth is like one of the very few books I've read more than once. Like, usually I'll read a book, even if I buy it, I'll just read it once and put it on the shelf. And then, you know, I may give it to a friend or let somebody borrow it or something. But it's one of the very few books I've ever read more than once. I've probably read it about four or five times. And an honorable mention would go out to A Princess of Mars. I mentioned on an earlier podcast that uh, my uncle gave me a big stack of comics, and there was uh, some of those John Carter Warlord of Mars comics in it. So when I got in uh, junior high, I eventually tracked down the books that were based on the comics, uh, and The Princess of Mars is the first book in that series, and I thought it was great. Like, it ends on a cliffhanger. And you have to read like the next three books, so I immediately had to go out and get the next two books from somewhere and read those. So those get an honorable mention. Cool. So uh, we'll move on to Brian and see if he's got some wonderful books yeah. to share with us. Um, I'm glad uh, Justin mentioned Jules Verne. One book that would be on my list, maybe top ten or something. I, I don't even know the correct title. It's like Journey to the Moon and Back or something, or maybe Journey from the Earth to the Moon. I don't know, it's, it's very well written, it's very easy to understand, and like, especially if you consider like the, the time when like Jules Verne was alive and writing, like he must have blown out all of his contemporaries like out of the water, like, I don't know, he's just a great writer. The book I actually picked for my number one book, it's the book I've probably read the most, it's actually a translation of the Iliad by uh, Robert Fitzgerald. And I don't know, I actually read it for a uh, humanities class at Grinnell College I took while I was in high school. And I just, I really enjoyed the book. It's very descriptive, and it's almost like, it, it almost reads like a comic book or something, you know? Just lots of heroes and treachery, backstabbing, lots of cool moments in it. So that's my book. Cool. Rounding it off, we'll go to Mike and, and see what he's got to read share books. with us. <laughs> no, no, um... <laughs> I actually have, like, I've got, like, a sentimental favorite, but it's not so much, like, a timeless favorite where I could, like, pick it up today and still read it. But I just remember as a kid, I used to love the book uh, How to Eat Fried Worms by Thomas Rockwell. Uh, I don't know why I loved it so much, but I just remember reading it over and over again. I, I think I still have a copy of it somewhere. I'm not sure where, but, you know, it's obviously it's like a kid's book. And it might have been like one of the first novels I ever read, so that's probably why I fondly remember it. And, like, uh, I, it's not something I could, like, pick up and read again today, but I just remember it as being, like, a sentimental favorite. As far as, like, other stuff, you know, I like, like, Brave New World, uh, Fahrenheit 451. 
a lot of like I used to read a lot of history books as a kid. You know, I used to like 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 morbid stuff, like reading about like the assassinations of presidents and like wars and stuff like that. Uh, like really depressing and like gross stuff, I guess. You mean like yeah, yeah, mean, like, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> that can that can all go under the umbrella of history. Uh, a lot of sci-fi books. I used to read like a lot of Star Wars books. Uh, that my favorite one was probably uh, Tales of the Bounty Hunters. Uh, I really, I really liked uh, Tales from the Cantina. I thought that was probably like it was like Pulp Fiction, oh, yeah. but in the Star Wars camp. <laughs> well, you know, I was in that stage where you know Boba Fett is the coolest thing ever, and you know, <laughs> I was just like, but I, I, I remember, yeah, the Tales of the Bounty Hunters had all the like the stories of like Dangar and Bosk and uh, Ig eighty eight or Ig eighty eight. I don't know. What do you guys say, Ig or Ig? Yeah, I usually say IG. Okay, because I, I had a friend who insisted it was like IG-88. So I was like, okay, well, I'll just say it IG-88, whatever, just to make you happy. <laughs> you, yeah. you will you will say yeah. it. And then, you know, nowadays, like, I don't read so many novels, but um, I like, like, I read, like, some of the Halo books from the Halo, the video game universe, just because I like that universe. And they're, they're, pretty, uh, they're pretty good reads for sci-fi. And, you know, that's about it, really. So, uh, okay, I guess it's on me. Um, so, yeah, like you, I don't read books. Boo. Um, I'm an illiterate. I'm, I'm an illiterate. No, um, I, I, I just thought about, like, what some of the things that would be genuine um, favorites of mine, you know, things that I had read in the past and things that I really liked. So for me, being an actor, like An Actor Prepares by Konstantin Stanislavski, you know, talking about the method way of acting and, you know, basically kind of focusing on, it's kind of like a diary of a young student and so how he, you know, trains as an actor. So you kind of get taught that way. It's like you're reading his diary and seeing his notes and stuff like that. Then um, as far as like, you know, maybe some honorable mentions, you know, I kind of threw in um, Sun Tzu's Art of War because I think that's a pretty cool book, you know, just for, you know, life and practice and, and kind of how they approach that. I mean, you know, yeah, it says the art of war, but you can apply it to a lot of different situations, you know, whether it's business or, or you know, projects or different things like that. And then uh, the, the only other thing that kind of cracked me up, because I remember I liked reading it, and it's not a very complex book at all, but uh, they, they made a book out of the Ferengi <laughs> rules of acquisition. Yeah. So they list, like, all the Ferengi rules from, from Deep Space Nine. So, like, I, I always liked that. And then they made, like, a, a sequel where they talked about the sort of history of, of Ferenginar or whatever. So, like, this wasn't ever on any of the series, but, like, one of my favorite ones was it kind of applies to all of us, you know, being, uh, you know, at some point toy collectors or, you know, collectors of DVDs or fan paraphernalia. But my, my favorite quote was, only fools pay the retail. <laughs> yeah. I was, that was kind of funny. It kind of applies to everybody, but yeah. So those those would be uh, you know, hey, some of my favorite books. Regarding so. um, like uh, Art of War, I've always wanted to read it. How does how does it read though? Is it like just random quotations or it's is it... kind of it, it, it's like a it's like a, a dissertation okay. almost. You know, it's not it's not it's not done in any kind of narrative. It's it's more like you know you're reading a, a set of procedures and rules. And, and sort of an organized treatise on, on how to approach it. It's like if you were going to go to war, it'd be like these are your five key ingredients that you need to have, you know, to, in order to be successful. You know, and if you're missing one of those, then, you know, it's like th those people that are missing those, that's why they lose. So, I mean, th th that's just kind of how I, you know, 
take it. I was going to ask you guys, like, I think a lot of people, like, when they don't like to read as adults, I think it's because they, it, they were forced to read as kids or, like, in high school, so... Yeah, no, I, I think that's totally true, because for me, like, I think the, the reason why... What I would always do is that, you know, I was usually forced to read, you know, for, for like high school or, or, you know, middle school or whatever. Like I didn't mind reading in college so much because nobody really forced me to do it. If I didn't want to read it, I just wouldn't do it. And then, you know, cause it's like, I remember I had certain classes that I just kind of, you know, it's like if it wasn't for acting, you know, like I could get away with slacking off on it because it didn't really mess with my GPA or whatever. But most times I went to stuff like philosophy and I read all their books and, you know, wrote papers and stuff and find, you know, found things that that interested me you know whether it was like plato or or camus or something like that you know but i think as far as like the kind of curriculum they had in high school it was like it seemed like because we were in like honors english they were always trying to push their college curriculum you know so i know i probably mentioned this before but like you know they made us read stuff like tony morrison and i don't know just stuff where i was kind of like wait what and i i never bothered reading it until like the night before (laughs) You know, so I'd just like read a bunch of stuff and then get ready for the paper or the quiz or whatever it was. But yeah, I, I you know, I think when I uh, when I took a trip to Europe, you know, and this was kind of before digital stuff like readers and Kindles and iPods and all that kind of stuff. It's like I had my probably like a cassette tape with some headphones, you know, a couple cassette tapes or maybe it was a CD with some headphones. I don't remember, but you know, and and uh, you know, I and I had tons of books. You know, so I just like read a lot, you know, while I was there. So, you know, that's probably when I read some of these books that I was talking about now, like, you know, Art of War or like I read Frank Herbert's Dune or Mario Puzo's Godfather, you know, just because I was like, oh, I want to see what what you know, what it, how different this is from the movie that I watched when I was a little kid or that kind of thing, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I you know, I. It, I guess it's just kind of like one of those things where I, sometimes it's kind of like video games for me too, or, or how Brian described trying to watch uh, DBZ Kai or DBZ, you know, like starting something and then getting lost in the middle of it. Like I remember there was this book that I never finished reading and I thought it sounded like the coolest book ever. Cause it was Star Trek, the lost years. And I was like, Oh cool. It's like, this explains what happens between the five year mission and Star Trek, the motion picture. Oh, that that'll be awesome. You know, and I'd read, like, the first three chapters, and then I'd drop it in the bathtub or something, or I'd, you know, forget about it or whatever. And then I'd totally, like, forget where I was, you know. So then I'd start from chapter one and be like, ah, Captain Kirk, one day he will be Admiral Kirk, chapter one. You know, and then all of a sudden it's like, chapter two, Dr. McCoy gets his hippie beard. And then chapter three, you know, Spock's, like, you know, kicking it on Vulcan, trying to be all logical. And then, you know, I'd totally, like, forget about it again and i could like never finish it so i i yeah i don't know what it was but like sometimes it's just like i'd lose track of those kind of don't feel bad about that because i've got that book and i've tried to read it four times and i haven't finished it either so i think it may just be like a bad star trek book maybe 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 that's the problem maybe it's all the lost years star trek novel (laughs) that i can blame uh, for my lack of of enthusiasm in reading modern day books. Um, but like I was one of those dorky kids who was always reading, you know, whether it was a comic book or a novel or even like a choose your own adventure book or something. But I always I was always reading. So, you know, when I got to high school and they were handing out assignments and they're like, okay, we're going to read Lamort Dorother and Frankenstein and, you know, uh, Paradise Lost. I'll be like, oh, cool. I haven't read Paradise Lost, but I've read all this other stuff. So, 
Well, see, but that, for me, like that, that was like, I had to invent projects to read stuff that I actually wanted to read. Like you talk about Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, like the only way I got to read books instead of reading like, you know, some wacky, you know, Tony Morrison book. Cause if you want a Pulitzer prize and they wanted to kind of put a college curriculum on a bunch of high school kids before they were ready to read it. It's like, I, I just said, Hey, can, can I do this project where we, you know, we read like the invisible man, we read, you know, Frankenstein and we read Dracula and all this kind of cool stuff that I was interested in reading the books for. And then we put together a project and did it, you know, and then that way it was like, it was almost like a self, you know, created project where we got to choose the books. And then it was kind of interesting or like, you're talking about like, did I ever read stuff? Like I, I remember reading all the Timothy Zahn heir mm -hmm. to the empire novels. Cause that was like yeah. back when there were no, you know, it wasn't like, there were like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Star Wars novels. It was like then it was like barren. And you're like, wait, what? A <laughs> continuing adventure of Luke Skywalker? Like what? And I remember reading that book in like yeah. a day when it came out and I had the hardcover thing and it was like probably 20 bucks or whatever. And people were like, what? A Star Wars thing? And I go, yeah, this is awesome, dude. And Luke's like, Batman, <laughs> you know, and I was like, oh, you know, like I was all happy and stuff, you know, so like. You know, like when, when there was something I was genuinely excited about, I guess, you know, like or, or like I remember there, there were like these when the Batman movies came out, they had these like sort of short story anthologies of the Batman and the Joker. And I remember liking those novels a lot. It was kind of like they were all sort of crime noirish, you know, novels and stuff. And there were things about like, you know, how the Joker like, you know, used his venom and these nice little descriptive passages and stuff. And I, I really enjoyed those too. I think it was called like the further adventures of Batman and the further adventures of the yeah, Don't remember not... when I got the uh, final crisis novelization instead of the graphic novel. <laughs> yeah. I'm slowly working through that and it's actually not too bad. I'm is like it, halfway is, it, to... is it comprehensible in yeah. novel form? Yeah. yeah I was like, I wonder. Yeah. I haven't been too confused or anything. It's pretty straightforward. I was gonna say, uh, uh, don't don't like, knock oh. the uh, choose your own adventure books because you know when I used to. <laughs> oh, I loved I, them as a kid. Yeah, I was gonna say when I used to go to the library with my dad, like when I was a kid, like I always used to look for those. Like they they used to have the Transformers ones, and I always used to try and get those. And I, you know, I, 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 I didn't. They had TF ones. Were you guys ever like you couldn't like cheat with them? Like if you went to the bad ending, you had to start over again, or were you just like, oh no, I'm going back and picking the other path? Like that would I cheat. cheated all the time. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I was a cheater. I'd just go like, wait, what? That's the wrong path. I'm Captain Kirk. The great thing like is, like, no matter so how I, innocuous I, the adventure was, it could be like you know, a day at the supermarket. Like three out of four choices end in death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like it's like he goes to get a pineapple. All of a sudden, yeah. you're in a dark cave. You stumble into a dark cave. I like it. Like even like the stupidest like things. Like it's like uh, I remember there's like this Transformer one where it's like the Autobots have to defend like this concert or something. I forgot what it was that's like spikes at, and they're like it's like jazz and like cup and blur on on like the roof or something. And they're like, should the Autobots face for, to the north or the south for the incoming like Decepticon attack? And I'm like, I think they should face to the north. And it, like I turn the page and it's like the end. And it's like you had the Autobots with their backs to the enemy when they came in and they all got bombed to shit, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh. Excuse me, I'm Eric Ventra. Tim's executive. Go fuck yourself. 
All right, so it seems like we've talked books, we've talked Choose Your Own Adventures and, and all of our favorite books and maybe why some of us are uh, more enthusiastic about reading novels and some of us maybe aren't due to our, our environmental upbringings. And so now we're going to go ahead and go to the roundtable that was promised on the show on X-Men First Class. Um, I believe everyone of the fan holes has seen this movie by now. And so we're just going to go around and kind of shout out some of our opinions on it. I, I think Tony kind of mentioned before that he was surprised that I guess it was as good as, as it was. I, I guess maybe he didn't have high expectations for it, and he was pretty impressed by it. I'll, I'll just go ahead and say that, uh, you know, just real quick, I liked the movie. I, I thought it was about as good as X2, and X2 I kind of liked a lot. I thought X2 kind of had a good first act, maybe a good second act, and then kind of fell apart in the third act. And First Class, I think, is a little different than that. I think First Class had a really strong first act, kind of with all the you know Karate Kid training sequences in the middle. It kind of meandered around in the second act. But I think the third act of it was pretty tight and pretty strong. And so I, I'd say I pretty much enjoyed it. I mean, you know, little nitpicky things where I, I think it's kind of funny that in a, uh, I guess, a, a Hollywood where people that are on screen are often from Canada, Australia, New Zealand, you know, all kinds of foreign countries that, you know, they couldn't bother to get someone, you know, maybe with a lilt for Moira McTaggart, but I guess she's a CIA American person, so maybe that doesn't make a difference. But even somebody like Banshee, you know, or even Emma Frost, you know, you'd think that they could get some people with, you know, with some natural accents instead of just, you know, I guess some of them approximated the look yeah. of the characters, but but in the actuality of their, you know, maybe vocality and, and such, they didn't really, you know, I, I don't know, Emma didn't seem like a, a snarky, you know, girl with a tube to me or even kind of like you know how, how you might expect emma frost to sound so but you know to me that's like a nitpicky thing mostly you know like i said the i, I thought overall it was a strong movie i liked watching magneto nazi hunt and and i really really enjoyed the score a lot which is kind of rare these days i think most scores have been pretty i don't know what the right word is like process homogenized churned out like yeah, you know, like like you just kind of feel like it's just some kind of ambient noise in the background, but this kind of felt like, hey, there's a theme, you know, and it kind of repeats itself, and, you know, yeah, it's the Magneto theme, you know? So, uh, yeah, that's all I'm going to say on that. Uh, Brian, what what were some of your thoughts um, on First Class? I was class? very surprised by it, actually. When previews were going up around the web and stuff, I'd, I made comments, like, numerous times, like, you know, Jesus looks like a made-for-TV movie stuff like that. The turning point for me was um, I saw a pretty lengthy trailer for it before Thor. So when I saw that, I mean, it had all the uh, like Cold War stuff in it and um, like all the ships down in Cuba and stuff and it just looked like really actiony and really good. So I was like, I, I turned to my friend I was with at the time. I'm like, man, this looks like it kicks ass. He's like, yeah, I think so too. So anyways, I decided then and there that I'd go see it in the theater and I really enjoyed it as well, um, especially Magneto and Professor Xavier. I, the only complaint I had about the whole movie is it seems a little long. And I think like the first and second acts especially are kind of bloated, especially when, as you said, you know, the, the second act is could have been done in like a montage, really, of all them training. But other than that, I really enjoyed it. Um, thought it was a great film and I'd recommend it for people to see. 
Cool. So, so uh, Justin, why don't you uh, tell us what you thought about well, First Well, when I first Class. heard about it, I thought, you know, it was not going to be good just going on the concept that not only was it a prequel, but you kind of had a bunch of morts running around as the supposed First Class for this uh, continuity. But then, like, I guess, like, opposite Brian, like, when I saw the first trailer, I was like, oh, this, this looks like it might be pretty good, actually. You know, I've always liked Magneto, like... I can remember being a kid and thinking, you know, like, oh, Magneto's right. I would totally be on Magneto's side. But, you know, I don't know if I would do that now as an adult, but, like, I've always liked Magneto. So I appreciated the focus on him. And But it ended up being a really good movie. Like, I took one of my buddies with me, and, like, he he doesn't read comics on a month-to-month basis. Like, we would watch, you know, like, we grew up watching, you know, like, the X-Men cartoon. So he's familiar with most of these characters, you know, maybe not a Zazzle or somebody like that, but... You know, he he was really into it. He thought it was really good. You know, he he liked First Class better than you know X2. So when we got out of there, he was asking me about you know how far does this line up with the comics? You know, he was asking me about all this backstory with you know Magneto and Professor X. So I had to you know kind of go back and fill in some of the blanks for him. So you know, he really like you're like a wacky, a wacky alien <laughs> yeah. named Lucifer help. Yeah, but uh, was was anyone surprised like how much they enjoyed Banshee? Maybe it's just me, but like when I first saw Banshee on screen, I kind of groaned. But like by the end of the movie, I really enjoyed his character. I mean, he seemed like a funny guy. Like you know, like I I, I think I was still kind of reeling from from the disappointment. Like I said, where I was kind of like, wait, what? No, no Irish, no lilt. Like. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but I mean that—that's what I'm saying. Like, well, physically, you know, like even Emma Frost, like visually, they looked the part. But then there was something in their, I guess, vocalization that I thought was missing for me. Another thing I'd mention that I kind of dislike would be, um, for as little as Havoc actually does in the movie, I don't see why they had to throw in that anarchism of like having him in there. You know, when he's Scott's brother to begin with. Yeah, it's almost like you could replace him with anybody who who had some yeah. kind of energy based power, right. and it would make a difference. You could have put you could have put random in there, and, <laughs> yeah. and it would have been just fun for all the for all the effort that went into to that character. Like an, another thing that had been kind of discussed, like I guess mostly like on the Trek BBS boards, where some people were saying that the actor who played Magneto would make a pretty good James Bond. Like they were just kind of going on the trailers at the time. And I was kind of like, I was kind of against that. But then after seeing the movie, like he said, he did such a really good job with Magneto. And then Magneto had like a lot of like Bond esque moments in the movie, like tracking down all the Nazis. And then, you know, like there's a scene where he's wearing a suit. That's pretty much the same suit Connery wore in Goldfinger. Mm-hmm. So like if, you know, when Craig's done with his Bond movies, like, I would totally be behind uh, Magneto's actor taking over his Bond. Yeah, I'm ashamed I don't know his do name for re- retro- how much I enjoyed him, but Magneto's actor was awesome. Yeah. Re- retro Bond. Was it a Michael Fassbinder or something? I yeah, think? yeah, I think that's it. What else has he been in? He was in uh, Band of Brothers, and he was in Inglorious Bastards. Okay. Like, he was actually a Nazi in Inglorious Bastards, I believe. He was in Jonah Hex, too. Yay! Apparently. And he was in 300. And yeah, the first I really like Band of Brothers, and I never picked up on him at all. Yeah, this is the first time I've seen him. Yeah. Wasn't uh, McAvoy in Band of Brothers as well? Yes, you are correct. He's Private James W. Miller <laughs> in one episode titled The Replacements. 
Good job, IMDb. <laughs> Wikipedia. Cool. So, so Mike, what, what are your thoughts about First Class? I don't class? have anything. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I, I liked it. Yeah, like, uh, there was a lot of, like, you know, uh, apprehension in the months coming up to this movie. You know, at first, it like, you heard all, like, the production problems and whatnot. And then when, like, pictures started to leak in and the trailers happened, they were like, oh, it's like Austin Powers, but with X-Men, you know. And, you know, when everyone started seeing, like, Kevin Bacon's sideburns and all that. But, you know, it, it turned out pretty good. You know, it, if you focus on Xavier and Magneto's storyline, it's a really good movie. I think the students kind of got the shaft. Like, they didn't get as much time as I would have wanted with them. And they really should have gotten a lot of time, even though, like like you guys said, like, the second act was kind of long and drawn out. But it didn't seem like they spent enough time with the students, really. I think, I think Brian brings up a good point, you know, with the Havoc thing. Because it's like, oh, maybe they could have, like, you know, lost a student or two and then did some real character development with some of them. Instead of it just being like, ooh, look, there's Angel. She's got wings. Okay, she's <laughs> going on the back. With, yeah. Spoiler, it's, it was you know, funny with like, Angel. Like, when my, my roommate saw that and he was like, he was kind of like that scene from, like, a family guy with when they get there, the Griffin family gets superpowers and, like, like Meg just gets like the fingernails that ex- extend and she like scratches that one guy and he's like, Oh, is that all you can do? Ow. Is, is that blood? No, but ouch though, you know? And he's like, and when, with Angel, he's like, Oh, is that all she does? She just has wings. Oh, and she spits things. Like, and it was like, Oh, I guess yeah. that's kind of okay. But you know, is that all you can do? Is that it? And you know, I was going to say, I didn't think, like, Beast's, like, prosthetics and, like, Emma's uh, diamond form looked so hot. Like, I thought the CGI on her diamond form looked kind of cruddy, and Beast's prosthetics looked kind of clumsy and not, like, convincing. Like, I, I really thought Kelsey Grammer looked good with those on. Like, they looked convincing enough, but I didn't feel it this time. But other than that, you know, those are minor yeah, I'd like to also say, like, the soundtrack was really great. The score was, like, really distinct, really uh, worked with the uh, visuals really well. I'd, I'd be happy to see a, uh, a a sequel to this. I was actually kind of surprised at the ending. Like, I thought, like, they were going to dra- drag it out a little more, like, so, you know, Xavier and Magneto would be in the X-Men for a second movie, but I guess not, so. Yeah, it seems, uh, you know, not to uh, jump the gun on anything, but it seems like both, uh, while while there were some cool fanboy moments for, say, Sinestro and Magneto at the end of these movies, you, you kind of feel like, oh, did they jump the gun, like, could they have, have stretched it for another, you know, just seeing, you know, sort of, you know, gray Magneto, you know, you know, working the, the X-Men yeah. a little longer, or, you know, doing his thing. Like, could they have pulled that off? Because I, I like kind of like what you were saying, I didn't expect them to go the full nine, you know, right away. But then again, you know, it's kind of like one of those things where I was like, oh, I wonder if Xavier's I go, ah, they must gonna, you know, they must have Xavier lose his legs in this, I guess, you know, even though some people were like, you know, complaining about how it didn't uh, fit with X3 and stuff like that. Well, whatever, you know, I think I'd say anything that ignores X3 is okay in my book. So yeah, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't, like I said, I, you know, X2 is probably the only movie of those original three that I think is, is pretty decent. So yeah, so, you know, I liked it. I, I approve. I, like I said, a couple, a podcast or two ago, a Marvel's two for two in my book this year so far. So they just need, you know, and I, 
the cap trailers are making it look more and more awesome. So I think they'll go three for three this year. I was going to say, if Ghost Rider 2 comes out this year, they might go three for four, but... (laughs) (laughs) What were you going to say? Well, I was just curious if there were any rumors even buzzing yet about, like, a sequel to First Class. Because it seems think, to have done really well out of the gate. Yeah, I, I think they were pleased with the take it it took in, but uh, I don't think they've noticed that they've said anything about a sequel yet. Well, we'll, we'll we fanholes will be diligent and keep up with that, and maybe in a, a potential for the future segment. But then uh, we'll we'll continue on and wrap all this up with covering uh, what is currently awesome with the fanholes this week. Um, this is a little segment where we like to go around and kind of share with the class something that piqued our interest or some bit of news that we thought was really cool. So we'll start it off with Justin, and uh, he'll be able to uh, uh, let us know what, what was awesome in Justin's world well, this uh, week. I've been kind of lazy this week. I haven't read any books, but uh, I have been reading a lot of comics. I've read uh, quite a bit. I have uh, went back and reread some stuff that I've only read like maybe once or twice, like uh, – I went back and reread uh, Heroes Reborn The Return, just for giggles and kicks, really. And uh, I reread uh, The Kree Scroll War, just to kind of refresh my memory and kind of psych myself up for season two of the animated series. Cool. And how was The Kree Scroll War hold up for you uh, uh, on reread? For the most part, it holds up pretty well. Like, there's some stuff in there like that. Uh, I didn't really care for like some of the stuff where the government's kind of chasing them, and it turns out to be a, a scroll or something. But uh, some of that, I'm, I'm pretty sure, will be kind of cut out, I guess, in the cartoon. But I don't know. But the main thing I wanted to plug for my cool thing of the week is I picked up the uh, current Zatanna ongoing series uh, by Paul, Paul Dini. And it's a really good comic, and sadly, it's not going to be part of the DC reboot. I guess it's going to be kind of swept under the rug in a, in a couple of issues. But it's I've been very surprised by like not only the writing but also the uh, artwork on the book as well. It's it's been a really great book. So like I would like, have you been reading it, Derek? I have not been reading the Zatanna comic. I was just going to ask, is she part of that Dark Justice um, thing at all? Like with the I'm magic not really people, sure. Or? Like it. It would make sense that she would be part of that since her ongoing is being kind of shooed away. But, like, I haven't been keeping up with the DC reboot news like the past week or so, so I'm not really sure. But I think I think you would uh, enjoy this ongoing series for as long as it lasts, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it seems like Paul Dini is a big fan. It's kind of like, you know, not, not to bring it in a negative context, but it's kind of like Brian Michael Bendis writing Spider-Woman is akin to... You know, Paul Dini writing Zatanna, it's like a favorite character of his, it seems like, so I'm sure he would try to do her the best uh, justice that, that yeah, like, he could I afford Yeah, like, I always you know? thought his one-shot Zatanna Everyday Magic, like, I thought it was pretty good. Like, there was a few things in it I didn't really care for, but overall, I really liked it. So when I read that he was going to be doing the ongoing, I was like, well, cool, maybe he can, you know, kind of uh, improve his writing a little bit and do some do a lot of better things, and he really has. Cool. Well, then, if, if people haven't checked it out, uh, they should go check out Zatanna and maybe uh, read some Kree Scroll War to get geared up for Avengers Season 2. We'll move along to Brian, and we'll find out what is awesome in the world Sadly, of I don't have a whole lot going on right now. Um, if we hadn't already covered Irredeemable in the topic, it'd probably be that, because I just burned through those volumes as I got them in the mail. Other than that, I've just been basically enjoying the start of summer. I've went to the pool a couple times. We bought my daughter a bicycle. It's her first bike. She's two and a half, and 
So just things outdoor. I've been enjoying going outside and spending some time out there. It's a Hello Kitty bike. Um, and actually just this week too, uh, we got her, her first like twin size bed up till now. She slept in her crib still and it's all Hello Kitty too. So we made, we made sure to get the one with streamers. Nice. So she's pretty <laughs> excited about it. Cool. Hey, she's yeah. got a theme. Like that's awesome. Hello Kitty. Cool. But that, that is awesome. I don't, I, I don't know what you're talking about. You don't have anything awesome going on in your week. I think, I think uh, Hello Kitty, uh, <laughs> twin beds and. Streamers for bikes yeah. are pretty damn awesome. So that's that's great, dude. And so we'll we'll move on to uh, and ask uh, Michael what is what is currently awesome. In his I got a couple things. Uh, one I've mentioned before: uh, uh, Game of Thrones, the HBO miniseries, it just wrapped up this past week, and uh, it was really awesome. Uh, I I almost want to read read the actual books now. Um, see what happens you know it's like the, this this first uh, 10 episode season i guess covered the first book and then you know that you know hbo season so there won't be another season for like another year now probably so it's like i almost can't wait to see what happens next but uh yeah it's if you like like lord of the rings style like fantasy it it's definitely for you i also wanted to mention um I just picked up on Clarence uh, the X-Men uh, hardcover uh, Nation X, which I guess takes place between, like, when they first go to Utopia and then Second Coming. And, like, it's just a bunch of stories uh, in between, like, there. And uh, I really enjoyed it a lot. It, uh, I, my favorite bit is uh, Sliver of the Void, uh, the Sentry's dark side, like, gets, slip, gets into Cyclops' mind. And, like, there's a whole issue of, like, Cyclops trying to contain it, and he finally, like, locks it in a room in his head. And, like, you know, Cyclops, like, totally owns the Void, thus confirming that the Sentry is a big pussy. So, you know, <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool, yeah. But, yeah, it, it was a very nice collection of stories. Uh, there's, there's, um, I, it collects, like, the Nation X uh, miniseries, too, which was uh, just a bunch of, like, short stories about mutants that live on Utopia. And there was this really nice one about, like, before, you know, it was nice in retrospect now that Nightcrawler's dead, but it was this nice one of Wolverine and Nightcrawler, like, going on a road trip to get supplies for the island. And, like, you know, it was just all funny stuff, like, uh -huh. them... Like, in, in the urinals at, like, a truck stop, and they're, like, Wolverine's, like, so, uh, Rogue or Psylocke? And Nightcrawler's, like, British or Japanese Psylocke? <laughs> and, uh. and, but it was just a lot of funny stuff like that, and I, I liked it a lot. So, that's it for me. I'd be Japanese Psylocke. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Me too. I, I'd, I'd do a three-way. <laughs> Cheater. It's not an option. <laughs> This isn't uh, a choose-your-own-adventure story. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, okay, I guess it's on me. Um, I just wanted to point out that uh, the awesome thing for me this week was the uh, Tremviriate of Terror on Batman Brave and the Bold because, once again, the manhole cover is now Superman's friend. And uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, when you get to see that episode, you will find out. <laughs> that was awesome. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening to us. We hope you uh, enjoyed hearing about X-Men First Class and whatever else we talked about. <laughs> whatever else we talked about. Favorite books and stuff. We also want to give a, a shout out to people who have been kind enough to send us comments and emails uh, for the podcast. And for our last 
podcast. We've got uh, Ives, who has uh, left us a comment, and uh, Ives agrees that G.I. Joe was the best tune after Transformers during the 80s, so I guess that was my pick, so thanks for that, Ives. Uh, uh, Ives also shares that his 80s shame tune would be Silverhawks. He calls it a horrible <laughs> Gatchaman ripoff, but how could you not love a show with a guitar-playing cowboy who pilots a ship? I don't know, because I, I really like Bluegrass, so, so of course I loved him. I always kind of thought that Silverhawks were actually... I, I thought Darkhawks was a ripoff of Silverhawks, <laughs> so it never occurred to me that, that Silverhawks were ripoffs of, uh, of uh, Battle of the Planets or Gotcha Man. Yeah, that's or what I was going to say. Transfer Z a ripoff. <laughs> you got to mention it. Or Eagle Riders. <laughs> or Eagle and uh, so Ives uh, mentions that uh, all the other stuff that he loved during the 80s uh, that was anime was either Go Nagai or Liji Matsumoto related. Um, I, I like Cutie Honey and, and Harlock, and I'm sure a lot of other people have, you know, fond memories of those shows as well. So, yeah. I think we've got to go rescue Tony from the plutonium now. I mean the plutonium. Did I say plutonium? <laughs> That's what it sounded like. <laughs> Plutonium. It's like you're like you're like Marty. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for listening, guys, and uh, be sure to Peace. check us out next week. 